on this week's episode of The Digest Show, I lose my goddamn mind. Josh and I decided to pick a horror film for the season. Well, I'm shook. I am. I'm ruining my week. And I hope you're happy. I hope you enjoy the episode. And uh, happy Halloween. Boo! Hey man. Hello. Uh, what'd you do last night? Um, let's see. Sat by a fire and then uh, had a good night's sleep. Oh, how did you sleep? Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Like good. a rock. Good for you. <laughs> How'd you, you sleep? You made me watch this damn movie, and I watched it by myself after a crushing Braves loss, <laughs> stone cold sober. Exhausted from working, and all I could do all night long was read about the occult and payment, and be terrified that Tony Collette was hiding in the top corner of my bedroom. (laughs) So thanks for that, man. I I slept like shit. Uh, I mean, I can't give anything away. I had to just let you walk into the Uh, fucking mill, man. You just got to go into it. You got to burn. On today's episode of the Digest Show, Josh and I are sinking into something spooky for you faithful listeners. Ari Aster's 2018 horror, Hereditary, mm. mostly starring Tony Collette, with a great cast of characters we're going to get to. We want to do something topical for y'all this week with the uh, impending holiday, first of this Digest Show's run. We talked about a lot of different films. We talked a lot about doing... A lot of different options, and we're having fun doing some modern stuff, so we thought we'd stick with that, and we're going to have an interesting conversation, one I don't think we've had on the show so far. So, here we go. Joshua's uh, turn to do Back of the Box this week, so in case you've never seen the film or it's been a minute, we're going to do a little prep before we do our deep dive. My brother, take it away. When Ellen, the matriarch of the Graham family, passes away... Her daughter's family begins to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry. The more they discover, the more they find themselves trying to outrun the sinister fate they seem to have inherited. Making his feature debut, writer-director Ari Aster unleashes a nightmare vision of a domestic breakdown that exhibits the craft and precision of a nascent auteur, transforming a family tragedy into something ominous and deeply disquieting and pushing the horror movie into chilling new terrain with its shattering portrait of heritage gone to hell very good back of the box i just want to shout that out good description stuck the landing whoever wrote that a plus heritage from hell Mm. Mm. yes now we're both admittedly not horror movie people no and we're going to talk about throughout this episode why that is mm-hmm. and i might on the other side of this i might feel differently about the genre i'm excited to share that journey with you and our listeners let's share with everyone our kind of uh journey to why we chose this film what what do you remember first hearing about it it was kind of a big deal when it came out so what, what was your first memories of it it was so um i so first uh really it was just my partner telling me, hey, there's this movie I keep hearing about. Apparently, it's, like, really scary. And I'm immediately like, okay, sure, whatever. I'm sure it's scary. 
So she's like, no, but really, people are saying that this movie's scary. We got to watch it. And then I watch it, and I'm just like, holy fucking shit. That is, that's something new, to say the very least. And that's my first memory is just being like, just shocked at what I just seen and thinking like, hell yeah, that was, that was pretty fucking scary. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I have never given a shit about horror movies. Sure. Like, and I, I've been open with you and you with, I, I was, I was scared to watch them. I was, I was scared. I also just wasn't yeah. interested in being scared. I don't have that need, nothing against it. Like I understand how people to be entertained and why that genre is successful. Also, I thought most of them were just stupid. Yes. And like the like I feel like this movie kind of has a thing to it, like almost like an M Night Shyamalan buzz, like with the twist and yeah. with these new modern horror movies coming out, it's like you got to see it. It's usually from a young director who hasn't done something. It's usually a new technique that makes it even more scary. Like a Robert Eggers film or something like that. Like it has mm-hmm. that buzz to it. I kept thinking about M Night Shyamalan a lot today when I was thinking about today's episode like i think that these new horror movies movies have that buzz in any case this film definitely had that but again i did i was like yeah i hope everybody has a nice time i'm just not gonna watch this movie for sure for no i i get it um and so like i'll share like i was the same way it took me until it basically took me until i moved out on my own into a, uh, a house with a group of guys that i still love to this day but they had like a culture of you know, hanging out and watching movies, drinking beer, like playing drinking games with movies and stuff like that. And horror, they loved horror films. And so I basically at that point had to just get over it and toughen up. And that's what I did. And so since then, I've kind of adopted, for me, it's been more of like a nostalgia horror movie. Like I watch older horror movies around Halloween, but throughout the year, I'm not really too interested because they're just not scary to me. Like they're really not. And they're so fucking cheesy, like the acting and the writing and just, it's like, Oh my God, it's so predictable. And it's full of fucking cliches and you're like boring. Right. But it's, this is one that comes along and like, just changes that and like puts you in a place where you're like, I I think I can watch the rest of this guy's fucking movies to see what he's going to do, you know? And hopefully it's going to bring more movies like this out too. So, yeah. Later on, we're going to talk about like why it's different, and I'm really yeah. excited for that conversation because you know this this podcast is about having fun and having a love of movies, and I think this movie, I do think it's a good movie, and I did like it, but I think the impact it'll have on me as a movie watcher is more profound than my enjoyment of the film. Does that make sense? Which might be a greater achievement. Yeah, I mean, and I'll just kind of say, so one thing, uh, you know, I, well, I, I want to just back up real fast and say sure. I love that you dropped Robert Eggers' name as well because I think he and Ari Aster are kind of, at least from what, you know, in a po- in popular cinema, they're kind of making a, they're taking horror to a new place, like a different place than it's been, and that's really exciting to see. Uh, but one, what I was going to say, though, is one of the things that came up on the special features again is Ari Aster just said, you know, he gave a couple of references of movies that he liked, but he said, you know, really when I set out to make this, I just wanted to make something that was going to stick with people like stick with them. Yeah. And like, I definitely was like, well, I think you did that dude. Like no doubt. <laughs> so Yeah. I think like horror movies are often social commentaries or realizations of like a human experience. And this one is grief obviously. And, mm. and a, a familial trauma. Um, and I think, I think I see horror going more in that direction and less in maybe not more in that direction, but more films giving that experience more than like saw and 
Friday the 13th and shit like that. I think, you know, I, I could just see, I'm excited for young filmmakers. You know, it was really great to have a conversation about Greta Gerwig. I'm just as stoked about this guy's films as I am about hers because it made me, it was just a different experience. And admittedly, it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. Sure. And that's what it is every time. Yes. You realize like, oh no, I'm fucked up. A decapitation of a little girl, like, I'm, I'm cool. It is like the the rhythmic, physical, poppy things that just scare you every time. That's just, yeah. you just can't. But like the shock value of the stuff isn't, it, it's never as bad as you think it is. And maybe yeah. I, sh- and what I'm saying is maybe I should just watch these films, especially from exciting new directors. Cause I'll find something that I didn't know that I liked. Is yeah. that cool? I think it's awesome. Yeah. I'm, yeah, that's, I'm super stoked to hear that. Like, honestly, I think, I think that that's great. And I think that the, I think the filmmaker would find that like, even, even coming from, just two guys who like do a podcast about movies because they love them and are no name people. Like, I think that if he heard that he would still feel like very complimented that you say that because that's like big, like for him to have achieved that and you watching that and then opening something up for you. That's fucking, that's dope. Like I I was like, all right, I'm going to go watch, um, what's his name? Us and, Oh, Jordan Peele. Jordan, I'm going to go watch Jordan Peele's movies. Yeah. I'm going to go watch The Witch. I've never seen Mud Samar. Like, I'm going to go watch all those movies. Yes. And I never, and like, I respect all those people, those artists. Like, I think they're, and I was like, okay, I should go watch it because it'll maybe speak to me. That being said, me like admitting that it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. I was like, there's one point, one facet of the film. And I'm going to talk about a few things that do bug me as cheesy horror things that still exist in this film. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm over it. I'm cool. And then like my cat jumped. And I totally just like flinched and like stared into the <laughs> darkness in my house by myself for like 30 seconds. So it it definitely shook me. It did its job. Yep, yep, it does it. It does. Uh, you have anything else to say about Ari Aster? There's one other thing that I just made me stoked about him as a young filmmaker is I read that he uh, he has he already has 10 screenplays. Yes. Queued up that he wants to work on. Yes. And he's that is he's a young exciting. guy. He's only 34. Yeah. He, you know, went to the American Film Institute, got his master's in directing. He's got a, a one of his classmates to the cinematography on this film. It's, I don't know, it's really exciting. I'm stoked yeah. to w- make, watch this dude's stuff. So I'll hit a couple of quick points about Ari to wrap up, just kind of a, a talk about him in general. But yeah. there's one thing about him that I definitely picked up. He's definitely like a, a Quentin Tarantino level film nerd, which, and it shows which I absolutely love when you get that feeling of like, you just get the feeling that the person that made it like was holed up in their room, like watching movies for like a year or two of their entire life when they hit a certain age. I, I, I love Yeah, he said he cleaned out every horror like uh, yeah. shelf at the, it's like, yeah, dude, I, I like this guy. Yeah, and then another thing I will say is um, he's working with A24, at least right. right now. And I think A24 is definitely one of the, the like production or distribution companies I look to for like, if they're releasing it, typically you can bank on the fact that if you spend your time watching it, you're going to, you're at least not going to be like, oh, that was a waste of time. Yeah. There's like taste, but yeah, there's like that five to $17 million budget production company every like 10 years. Like for you and I, it was like, if you see focus features, focus features, I'm fucking oh, yeah. in. Yes. And A24 is definitely taking the mantle. For sure. For sure. No doubt. So that, I mean, that's, that's, that's basically it with, with Ari. I am just like you excited for, to see what, what's going to be coming out of this guy. Yeah, me too. Uh, moving on. Uh, we wanted to talk about the camera work and how, you know, he talks, the director talked about how he wanted 
the viewer to feel like they were the one being conspired against, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the camera work it incited fear to me. It felt as frantic as I would if I were in these situations. It's very cutting, and really the sweeps across the room. You know, in every horror movie, you're kind of set up in a framed shot. You just start your eyes start ser- searching for the hidden thing, and this movie that's a huge part of the creepiness of this film. And the the way the camera sets up frames, there's a few instances, especially at the end, with like the naked cult members, which I paused yeah. on because I wanted to look at that. Like, yeah. I was just really, I fucking, that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. Like these weird ass white people trying to get rich summoning a demon. Yes. And like them, and there was just a specific example. It sets up like an open shot of shrubs and you're looking and nothing, and you're like, there might be a clue there, an Easter egg there, but you're looking and then another set of shrubs and there they're there again. Yeah, like the camera just it it misleads you and you trust it and then you don't, and I, I loved it. It took me for a ride. Well, I think the I think that the opening shot of the film sets the stage for what the camera is gonna do. It's gonna it's gonna completely fuck with your mind, for for just a lack of a better way to do it. It's gonna fuck with your head because you start out on Annie's studio seeing her just okay. So let, let's just start there. This woman makes art, which is miniature reproductions of basically traumatic things that have happened in her life. And she's surrounded by them, and they're highly realistic replications. So we start the film with a pan across this room, and we settle on a room, and we slowly start to zoom in. And then before you know it, it's a real room, and you know someone walks in. And you're like – that. I mean you're just – your mind is fucked, and like when you watch this for the second, third, fourth time, you start to look at it, and you, you're waiting for the moment. You're like, okay, all right, when is the moment where they they switch from the miniature into the actual room? And you it just does, does but you can't see it. You it, it doesn't happen. I'm gonna add a little more text to my watching experience. So I was dog ass tired last night, but I and I've been putting this film off because I was fucking scared, and because it's playoff baseball, and. And I started it, and that scene you just talked about, when you watch the the frame ter- transition into viewing a miniature, into you realize it's real life. Yeah. I was like, I literally said out loud, "Fuck this!" Like, yes. I'm not ready for this. And I put the office <laughs> on for like six minutes. I was like, I need to turn my brain off. I worked hard. And I was like, All right, get your shit together. It can't be that bad. And we went back into the movie on. And I was like, You can fucking do it. And then th- there's three other times in the movie where I was just like, fuck this. Fuck this. Yeah. But it, I, it, again, I had a great time. The camera is the camera is not your your friend. It's it's oh. it's there, it's messing with you, and it's used so so very effectively. I mean, you so another very interesting thing is like so they built this entire house. I, was, inside, I can't wait a, for you to talk about this. Yeah. Like on a, a sound stage and they filmed everything on a sound stage. Because they needed to be able to just have walls disappear so that they could get the shots that you see in this movie. And another thing that comes along with that is the the lighting. I don't know if you if you notice, but you can like you can never fucking tell what time of day it is inside those, of that house. Those external shots where it flicks are from night to daytime and yes. vice versa are so disorienting. Yes. Yeah, and, and they, they shot this they film are, in 32 days. I mean, it. yes. I mean, it, like, this thing must have been just like... So, first off, this guy yeah. must be a very good director. Like, just logistics, down to the, the nuts mm. and bolts. He must be very good. And 
and to see the way they built the set and all the research that they do into the occult to get the the symbology and the references correct is just i mean that in itself is just to me is impressive like not saying that i'm into the occult but i it's kind of up my alley and it was that's part of another reason if it's okay as we go along i'm just gonna interject as someone yeah for sure almost anti-horror just throw things out that made me like it and Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. it being oriented around the occult and like antiquity and mysteries of the of of antiquity like that was that's so it's maybe it's not unique but the way he interwove it and hit it and slowly shows it to us that's another part of the reason that i that i enjoyed the movie as well yeah i agree and i i mean it just he the way he so the occult and in particular like what we're discussing um hey, payment well uh like witchcraft if you will and like the art of summoning like we're talking about alistair crowley conjuring Studying yes. demons like the kings of hell, Th- aligning kind of... yourself with Satan instead of you know the light, whatever. Yeah, well, and, and like r- rituals, like ritual, yeah, ritualistic, ritual-based things. Like they have a they, there's a particular slice of of uh, your brain that that can fuck with because when you see Freddy Krueger, you're like ah okay cool sorry, and I don't want to get it ahead, but w- just trying to make the point. When you see that, you're like ah that's a completely fictional made up thing that just you really don't have to fucking worry but about. With this, with this, you're like, is this real? I don't yes, know. exactly. And that's I don't know. It could be. Why you get to use subtle shit to like make a really creepy fucking movie that sticks Absolutely. inside your head because you're like, just wait a minute now, you know? Like I'm reading about this this guy. And these texts that this comes from, it's like, I can't verify that this is a legit source. Oh, shit, Aleister Crowley's into this? Like, he was a real person. He was also kind of a crackpot, but was he? I don't know. And it's, I think it's a smart choice to spook someone for a horror movie to inter, interweave that into the story. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things you're referencing, too, is one of the names that is scribbled on the wall. Because all the characters that have this kind of possession thing happened to them like for some reason scribble some name on the wall behind their bed um and it's a different name for each of them one of those names i think is a a word that's directly attributed to alistair crowley too so i mean it's like it's just layered with so many different references you know and that's that's super cool to me like i love when people take the time to, to to get it dig into things and like build a story with like relevancy you know and like relevant references yeah for sure and it's really obvious like at the the funeral scene when tony collette's character is like you know my mom she uses the word ritual and she says i almost feel it almost feels like betrayal to even be speaking about it in public and at first you're like i know this is a weird horror movie but she just used the word ritual like nonchalantly like shit's getting weird (laughs) yeah it 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 is and well and also i think one of the early tips too is when at that which is you know the the scene that we basically start to learn who the characters are is at that funeral when tony collette's or annie is speaking and one of the things that tipped me off is when one of the people walk by and they take this thing out of a vial and like put it on their finger and like rub it on her lips i'm like man that's that's some i don't know i mean maybe that's some religion i'm not a part of but that it seems ritualistic it seems of yes it does it wafts of the occult which clearly there was some shit going on that we're gonna get to so we were right (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. Real quick, just randomly, I remember there's like the old guy like cheesing hard at the little girl. Did you, yeah. did you catch that? That was just yeah, weird. It, what was that all about? He he's one of the cult members. He's he's the one that's fucking naked in Peter uh, in uh, Peter's oh, is room. He? Yeah. Okay. In Peter's room. Yeah, you like stay like standing there staring at Peter, like looking at him. Wait a like, second. Smiling really big. That's him. In the attic or in his room? It, it's um it's downstairs. Whenever he's downstairs, it's like when when Annie just, is on the ceiling behind. I just him. look behind myself just so you know. That's cool. You're gonna yeah, there's gonna be a couple of days, man. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be a couple of days. You're right. I mean it was for me, like I have a coat rack that like I would come out early in the mornings after I watched this movie and I'd like in my peripheral vision see the coat rack full of and I'd be like, Oh shit, what's up? You know, like Yeah, for me I just have a lot of old southern non racist relics in my house. <laughs> like mason swords and a grandfather clock and like furniture from the turn of the century and like and i'm just like i feel the shit in this house and yeah like because like, i feel the like the, people would possess themselves with, i right? feel like, like the spirit of yeah. my family's heritage like and we're cool people we're good people we like to have a good time like that's our greatest sin but like <laughs> but like i feel it and it makes me think <laughs> that's why our families get along by the way just just our biggest sin just want to have a good time have a nice time <laughs> but uh so just to kind of uh to jump back just a little bit. Talk about he, the miniatures thing. Uh, well, I mean, no, I mean we can. Oh, okay. but what, no, I, no. What were you gonna say? Well, because you were talking about the the creepy guy like cheesing the the little girl. It's like he does that throughout the movie. He peppers people in places in situations in the movie that then show up at the end of that movie in that fucking treehouse, in or in the attic. Like, I did not connect all of those characters being in the film private previously so i'm glad that you pointed that out to me yeah no and that, that's totally cool but he it's it's very very interesting the way he does that i mean it, mm. it yeah one of the kids that one peter smoking pot with under the bleachers is up there like he's down on all four yeah it's it's oh my god you kind of believe that this thing permeates a little further than totally i'm so glad you pointed that out to me yeah yeah because as i watched the first time through split fingers hmm <laughs> Do you feel like we've fleshed out the family aspect of it? I mean, we can really keep going on it. It's such a deep part of the film. I mean, the, the only thing I think we should say before we go any further is and just if we need to spend a minute on it or so, whatever, but, like, what a fucked up family. And in particular, if you take it from Annie's perspective, her father, her brother, her mother, her child. I mean... I mean, her mother, really. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, but 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 then... And plus, like, how fucked up is it to, like, do some shit to someone and then leave them with what other people perceive to be a mental disorder when it's not really a mental disorder? And that's Her just, brother, yeah. That's one of those fucked up things. Well, even Annie. Yeah. Like, even Annie is, like, her husband, like, thinks she's in the middle of You're a sick. breakdown. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. Like, she's not. Is... Yeah, yeah, you know? She's functioning in real, real shit. I kind of reference like there's this tradition of horror films being com uh, cultural commentaries or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, expressions of a human experience. I think is how we put it. And this one being grief and like there's lots of things like psychology magazine articles and things like that that I've read about like there's ancestral grief or there's there's there can be one person who carries the weight of the you know, conflict of the history of a family or something like that. That's a little woo-woo, but it can, you know, pass down. 
and the way this movie expresses grief and the weight of family ancestral trauma, like that's kind of what it's addressing here. And it's exacerbating it by making it about grandma who's trying to summon a demon to get rich. That's a little extreme. <laughs> but I do think that it's commentating on how your family affects you and it passes down. And if you don't deal with it, someone's getting caught on fire. Okay. Either literally or proverbially. And I think that's a big message of the film. Yeah, it is. I think that, um, and we'll talk, I'm going to, I'm just going to say one little thing, but we'll get on it a little later. But I think that that's one of the things that sets this one apart is that it's really, it's, it's hard to believe when you watch this film and you see some of the graphic kind of gory moments that can happen. And it's not a gore fest by any means, but it's, no. it doesn't, when it needs to be literal, it doesn't hold back from being literal. You know, that's really what it comes down to. But um, um, when you're watching it, it's hard to put – you see some of the stuff that you see in front of you. It's hard to keep in the in your mind that you're really watching like a, a like the story of a family grieving but put into a vehicle of horror that has just as much like – what it use the g word allegory and metaphor oh, you say gravitas no 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 i'm thinking of it i mean like you like you would expect in like classic literature i don't know like the like don totally. quixote canterbury tales shit like that where it's like laced with just metaphors and you know like yeah. it, that's how this feels so i mean that yeah yeah before Sorry. we move I, I on a little no. further. oh you're good before we move on to our performances can we maybe between the two of us, uh, flesh out the uh, the presence of the of the demon or or Paimon or whatever he is in the family and how it kind of passes down. Yeah, I'm into so that. So the you talk about the cult and like what's going on there. We didn't do this as we were flush as we were structuring out the podcast, but I think we should before we get to our performances. Yeah. So so Grandma is in this cult where they're trying to. And why don't you kind of, after I'm done, just kind of supplement what I've said or Absolutely. correct, because I'm you I'm an idiot and I'm wrong it. sometimes. So grandma's into this cult with a group of people, and what they're trying to do is provide a male host to this uh, demon. And if they provide him with that male host, he will provide them a wealth of riches. And that's the reason that they're doing this. So in order for him to appear, he needs to have a sacrifice. So that's the other reason why... Uh, uh, Tony Collette's character dies. She's a sacrifice in order for him to up appear in general. So Charlie's character, the young girl, is the is an original manifestation of the demon, but she's a female, so it's never going to come to the whole thing isn't going to come to fruition. When she's de decapitated, going to anaphylactic shock after a party, stay with me. It, it gives the demon's you know essence or spirit an opportunity to enter the new host which is her brother, correct? Uh, no, actually, it you could say that it, at that point it enters her her sketchbook. Okay. Theoretically. Okay. Yeah. But, but between the point that Charlie dies um, and the end of the movie, it's about the cult trying to get Paimon into the male host and trying to wear him down so that he's physically unable to resist it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah. within that time period um annie's care annie is possessed um tormented manipulated by the demon 
and this demon that's why it exists in this family's lineage because of grandma um lee i believe her name is correct queen lee yep queen lee her grave after she dies uh is excavated by the cult her body is stolen is later using used in a ritual as both a uh, a physical artifact in the ritual and as another sacrifice as uh, Annie's body is as well stop me if I'm that's kind of a a good yeah. summarization right go ahead yeah the only couple of things that I would add please, please. is is uh so it's important to know that this story like so the queen lee Annie's mother's attempts to conjure this spirit started with her brother. That's what she was trying. So her, her mother tried to put the spirit into her brother and her, her brother killed himself to avoid basically being possessed by this spirit. Um, and then the only, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll say is uh, like, you got the part about the sacrifice, right? Re- payment requires three heads okay uh, no, that's more specific than i did yeah so he, he's yeah. like in the in the movie when she's looking through the book and she realizes kind of what's going on it shows the picture of payment and he has three heads like gotcha. attached to his waist and he's carrying them like he's collected them um and so it requires three heads for th- this kind of ritual to be completed but the, the thing that i just want to stress is like it took me i think three views and maybe i'm slow to the party but it took me like three views to realize that this literally everything that you see, everything you see in this movie from the beginning to the end was part of the plan. Everything. Yeah, totally. They, plan- they planned it like every little nuance, like, I mean, down to the pole in which Annie, or excuse me, uh, that um, Charlie is decapitated, decapitated on. Like every little bit. The bird hitting the window that Charlie cuts the head off of, like the woman standing outside of her school sent that bird there to hit. I mean, every and it, it yeah. took me you know, a couple of views to like understand how thickly perverse their, this yeah. plan was. Yes, and it, and it, it, yeah, it's like a really, really complex thing. It's just wild. I don't, I don't know. I made I made a lucky move here when I watched this movie. And we'll get to it when we do our list this week. But I I, I was watching the ball game, our beloved Braves, sweating Whoa. it out in the NCLS. Whoa. I changed the lighting on my television. And I think it really dramatically altered my viewing experience with the film. I wish I would have seen this in the theater because it's so immersive in yeah. its experience. But I saw some stuff that after I watched the film, I went and read some articles that I don't think I would have seen if I hadn't changed the light display on my TV. Hmm. Like, I think a big part of this film is the lurking of the cult members in a yes. myriad of scenes. Yes. Hot yes. breath while homeboy's hitting the bong outside his yep. room. Yep. People standing in the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple big ones, which are on my list. I don't think I would have really noticed as my horror film watching Wandering Eye in a set frame looking for the surprise. I don't think I would have seen it. So, I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's what makes this – it makes it so good is the way that the, the – it's the it's really – it comes from the research that he did. It, I really believe that the amount of research that this team did for this movie gave them enough, like um, – 
reference points to to scatter throughout the film to make the whole thing fucking creepy. Like everything is creepy. So yeah, you know, enough said, but yeah, for sure. Cool. Let's get to our performances. <clears throat> Let's do it. Bring in the heat. Bring in the cheese. Bring in everything she's got. Ugly Cry Hall of Fame. Australia's pride and joy. Tony Collette. Holy shit. Just found out she was Australian like two days ago. Really? Would nev- never, dude. I'm not a huh. Wiki- I'm not a Googler. I'm not a Wikipedia. Well, you know, you know I am. So I would have never. I've never seen her, and her accents are like so fucking convincing that it's like insane. I just never would have guessed that. But hey, you know. Yeah. So her character is going through the most shit. You know, we we see her the most. I mean, the woman's possessed. She's under duress of all supernatural, human, and she, her husband thinks she's having a mental breakdown. She, this performance is a it's a tour de force. Her son thinks she fucking hates him. Not I only mean, hates him, but tried to light him on fire. Yes, I mean, that's what I said earlier, man. Like, what a fucked up family. Like, dude, God, I mean, the. The idea that a person could go through that much shit and not either, like, not be doing some sort of, like, drinking or drugs, I just don't, I can't even get my head around it. Like, that is some heavy shit. Like, God, there's just so much shit going on in that woman's life. Like, a couple and of Tony months, Collette, yeah. Tony Collette gives a fucking master class on how to look manic. Like. And the grief part of it, like, the scene in the room. The bedroom when she's on all fours and her yes. husband's yes. comforting her. That is what that looks like. Yep. yep. As we we both unfortunately know what grief looks and feels like. Yep. And it that's the scene when she's pleading with her husband, Peter, right? That's his name. Uh no, it's uh, Steve. Steve's, excuse Peter's me, Steve. Son. Yeah. Got you. Thank you. Um to throw the notebook in the fire. Oh man. Dude and and then the other one of my favorite parts of her performance is, you know, in a horror movie, there's always the don't go in there. Don't go in that room. It's obvious. And the way her character sees the doormat that her we later find out her mother made for everyone ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. She sees one. She knows this woman knows her grandma. But because she's so drunk with grief, because that's what grief does to you, she sees red flags. And she yeah. just and the, to watch her character just dismiss them because there's a glimmer of hope of relief. Yes. Is a beautiful part of the performance. It Those is. are three things I really loved about it. I I so I mean I will say you already mentioned it but like I, you know I've got this shtick of the whole face acting award. I mean just Tony Collette lifetime achievement. I mean did that face like First she, ballot Hall of Famer. She's got like such an emotive face like mm. and she knows how to use it. Like I mean you you mentioned the scene, uh, the book burning scene. Like she, and again, I said manic. She does manic so well. That's a good example of it. It's like this, this just, just pure raw emotion, unfiltered. You have too much of it. You can't hold it back anymore. And the one for me that gets it is the, like the, the fucking dinner table scene. When, oh like, yeah, great. Thing. When she just like fucking that unloads, and it's but the better, the best part. I mean, you could talk about the the way she gets into that scene and like you know if you're an actor and you're not expecting someone who's real 
to like get on set and go for it, like you would have been like fucking flabbergasted at that table. Uh, but, yeah. but like the best part about that is the 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 moments before she blows up, the ticking the fucking fork, the facial expressions, the the look on her face, the like no. Does it, the, is there something you'd like to say? Like it just, it's it's fucking good shit, man. It's uh, very honestly. realistic for like a, a family fight at a dinner table. The way that she delivers lines of things she doesn't mean, she yep. might mean them. But the way she speaks to her son is like, I mean, no one's ever said anything like that to me before. But the experience of saying things you don't mean out of anger. I think Alex Wolf is a really talented actor. Yeah, me too. Excited. And I, I, I mean, we'll touch on him in, in a bit, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, no, he, he is. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, I've never had anyone speak to me that way before, but y- y- that's question uh, my existence. <laughs> but I've also never been in a, a situation where two people have died so instant, like so close together under such just fucking fucked up circumstances yeah that's because your grandma wasn't into the right see that's okay that's my thing like i just gotta get this out like victoria couldn't sleep for like fucking a week after she watched this and i kept trying to tell him like i'm like v like all you gotta do is just know that your grandma was not trying to fucking possess you and you can sleep at night like you did your grandma wasn't trying to get your ass like don't worry about it you good so that's why i am a little freaked out because (laughs) Just to get personal on this podcast, Joshua knows go. this. My grandfather was a very high-ranking Freemason. Here we go. And I got a lot of his paraphernalia in this house that I live in. That spirit's coming back to get your ass. That's all I'm going to I'm just going to lay it out there. Shit. One of the God. other seven kings of hell, man. Or eight kings of hell. You're like Payman's like third cousin or some shit. That's enough. That's why you're the third. Also, see, they just keep passing that shit down. Oh God. Um, one other, one other shout out for Tony Collette, just yes, because. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I'm gonna go ahead and say this out loud. Like, we talk, we've talked about a lot of great acting performances, and there are performances that like run. There's a spectrum of a great acting performance. Like, you can, you can be like a really low. You can have a. Some of the best acting performances, in fact, are subtle ones, right? Like people who Passive, don't have yeah. over-the-top scenes that just throw the emotion. It's the subtlety, the holding like, back. Like Al Pacino's known for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the poster child of unemotional acting, subtlety. Yeah, there we go. Um, but you know what I mean. Like you, you, It runs a spectrum. But like on this podcast, we've talked about Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood. I don't think that we've had another performance that hits some of the notes of like just like carrying emotion, dark emotion. I don't think anybody's hit notes in, in any of the movies we reviewed that if that hit yeah. the same note. Sorry, you know. If I can piggyback on your shtick, like I really do think it's like the physical makeup of Tony Collette's face. Sure. That make makes it. I think it's a big part of it. And knowing how to use it, I mean. Of course, that's the art of it. No, I know. I, yeah, yeah. I, I I read that she before she got this script from you know some young upstart mm-hmm. film student, which is just so cool. We love to see it. She told her agent that she she's like, I want to do comedies. I want to have some fun. 
she's so talented. She's obviously funny. Like United States of Terror. Uh, um, what was the movie that came out last Christmas? The Knives movie. Knives Out. No. Oh yeah, Knives Out. The reason I hesitated fun. is because my dad calls that movie Long Knives, and I give him shit for it. I almost called it Long Knives. Anyway, Long Knives. I saw that movie Long Knives. What? What movie are you talking about? It was real good. Get him, Rick. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, and then she gets the script after wanting to like go in a different direction and fucking a big lamppost moment in her career. I mean, it's like I don't know how you how you don't want to do this part. I mean, there's not it, okay. It's a horror movie, and I know that those don't ever get. Like you're never, she's not gonna get an Oscar nomination. Although, like, their her performance in this movie, if you separate it from the things that you want to, not you specifically, you plural, if you separated it from the things that you may criticize, this performance stands alone could absolutely be nominated for a fucking Academy Award. I mean, there's no doubt about I, that. I think in the future, you know, we touched on the d- direction of the genre and everything with these new filmmakers and the way they're interpreting the human experience and just horror in general. It, it, it's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, at some point, it's it's it. Yeah, I mean, because this this right here is gonna be the one that moved the 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 fucking ball all the way up to the goal line. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, this is the one that's gonna carry it right up there to the edge, where it's like you can't really ignore a performance in a movie like this anymore. I think that the other person who has the potential to do achieve that same height is. And um, I keep blanking on his name. I'm sorry. Like one of the most famous people in the movies right now. The Us director, Jordan Peele. Oh, I Jordan think Peele. Uh, yeah. like he, he well, loves he using... already. Well, I was going to say him. He uses Lupita Nyong'o a lot. And I just love watching her do her thing. She's just got this bounce, this charisma. And, and I think she could end up putting in a performance. And maybe she has because I haven't seen everything she's done. Well, so yeah, I, thought... I mean. Yeah, we're we're look. All I all all I'm saying is like, look, guys, we obviously are gonna have some good movies to do in the future of this podcast because your boy's been sitting on some, and I'm gonna tell you right now. I mean, yeah, you're gonna love Jordan Peele's movies because they also see. We'll get into it. It's subtleties. It's a different thing, mm. but it's they're hitting. They're stroking this. I saw Get Out. I saw Get brain. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. 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 Let's um let's move on though, and shine a little light on everybody else. Yes, let's do. So, uh, Gabriel Byrne. Dude, OG, okay. So Miller's sh- Crossing, Usual yes. Suspects. Those are my two Gabriel Byrne memories. How dare you? Stigmata, of course. Stigmata, okay. <laughs> I never saw, what's the, he, his most critically acclaimed performance is the show, the in, is it called Impatient, I think? I'm not sure. Like a t- you said a TV show? Yeah, yeah, he's it's it's oh outpatient. I'll look it up while we're talking. But what yeah. what what are your favorite Gabriel Byrne moments? Well, well, okay. So first, I think you have to say that he definitely holds his ground with Tony Collette, who's giving like a like all of the actors we're getting ready to talk about absolutely hold their ground with Tony yeah. Collette in this movie. Like, there's no, there are no like just really bad acting moments. There just aren't. Um, but I think my biggest point for Gabriel Byrne and, and, and his character Steve in this movie is he does such an amazing job of delivering a humanity 
to the family that is very much needed in this movie. It it allows you to connect with this family and it makes you want to like them and root for them because you can see that Steve Gabriel Byrne's character is, is seeing the good in everybody. All while, while, while they're all maybe not seeing the good in each other, he's seeing the good in everyone and he's trying to, to collect it. And I just think, I mean, that scene in the car where he, his son's passed out in the back after having his nose broken by a fucking demon, and he doesn't know what the fuck. <laughs> there what? it is. There's the first time that the inevitable ridiculousness of a horror movie gets me. <laughs> his guy, his son has his nose broken by a demon. I mean, that's what I'm saying, it's, but it's, it's like... It's what happened. Sorry, go it, ahead with your well, analysis. But it's the it's the absurdity. You, I mean, no, you're right. It is the it's absurd, but also that's why this movie. I think what this movie does so good is like you get Gabriel Byrne's character Steve, who gets to be like you. Like yeah. what? I'm supposed to believe that like this this notebook is possessed, and if I throw it in the fire, you're gonna fucking burn to death. Like I'm supposed to believe this. Like I, when he, he watched- when he breaks down and cries, though, I just think that that gives that that's a crucial moment in the movie. It's well delivered by Gabriel Byrne. It's obviously a seasoned veteran. I mean, I just think he's a great actor, and I think he does a good job with this part for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even before he's burned alive by homeboy Payman, like he yeah. he he grapples with it. Like he he definitely hesitates and questions: Should I throw the notebook in the fire? No, my wife's sick. I need to help her. He sees a glass move in the seance esque situation. He's like, "Fuck this! I'm turning the lights on." Getting some yeah. fucking help. Well, and he's also a therapist. I mean, I, I don't know if you if you caught that. Like, I off, did. Yeah, the subtlety of that. That's how they met. Is that she went to? He was her therapist originally. Oh, so, I did not pick up on you that. Know, that like hits a kind of a different place. Uh, or no, well, that might have actually been in the special features that they talk about. That is la di fucking da. The, the way it's written. Features over here. Well, I mean, hey, you know. Uh, but but no, I mean, I think. It, it, He's seeing this woman, and he's like, you know, like, fuck, at some point. She has a history. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think he carries it well. And he, he his, his, um, I love the way he, he does this. He borders this, like, intellectual character that is also really loving in his family. Like, I like that. That's a cool dynamic. Yeah. I like that he delivers it. Me too. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the chillin'. Ooh. So, Millie Shapiro, first oh, role yeah. ever. So she's gifted with this beautiful, interesting face, you know, and I physically, I think that's just the biggest thing she brings to the table, which, you know, she's just gifted with like, but she uses it. She's a talented young lady. She's the, you know, a demon incarnate. We don't know that explicitly, but her kind of manicness, her uncomfortable performance and how she's supposed to interact in these day-to-day situations, school, a party, a family. But you believe that this individual, this young person is messed up. That is not, something is wrong with this person. And she's kind of in the essence of the creepiness of the movie. For sure. I mean, um, something that Ari Aster said stuck, uh, sticks out in my mind. Um, he said uh, she was she that she was so good that it made it appear that they hadn't found someone to play Charlie, but they had found Charlie. I read that Alex Wolf and um, 
Miss Shapiro were encouraged by the director to go out to dinner together and like interact as siblings, and they would sit there for hours and like not talk. And they were they were playing they were in character, and both Alex method Wolf, actors. Yes, both method actors. I believe they met like at school, like a special they went, professional they, they went school, school for. Yeah, so they had that rapport, and they would go out to dinner, and and Shapiro would just refuse to speak. And for hours, yep. they would sit there in this like almost violently uncomfortable situation, like yep. two committed young people. Pretty, pretty rad. It is very fucking rad. And like seeing seeing her speak like off character, that's when it hits you that you're How like, good she is. dude, he's like absolutely right. Because when you watch this movie, like you kind of watch it and you like part of you is wondering, like, like, I mean, it. I mean, is this person even is this is this person acting or is this person being used in a way that like as a prop almost or something? I, and I hate to say it, but it get you kind of I mean, for real, like you kind of think like, wait, what is what you 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 walk away with questions and then you you watch her speak and she's because she's young, too. You know, she's not. Yeah, she's not, like her face is so unusual. I'm like, is this like makeup or something? Yeah, no. It, no, no, and she, and um, well, she has um, she has a, it's a, I think it's a bone disease that um, uh, the uh, the the actor from Stranger Things also has the uh, the same disease. The Again, not disease. interested. Maybe I'll come around on that too. Okay, well, all right. Well, so anyway, uh, but she's like, she when she's off character, she's like this super fucking bubbly, like. Oh my god! I was like super happy to be a part of this set. Like I, I can't even believe I'm here. Like this is just Just like a normal young girl. Yeah. Yes, and it's just like you're like holy shit! You are acting like a fucking champ. Like, oh my god! I mean, yes, it wild. I mean, really, really, really good performance. No shit. Just blow. It blew me away. I don't know. I think that Alex Wolf's performance is also it's a crux of the film. Like he's he's a huge part of the second act. And especially the final third, and undeniably the last thirty seconds of the movie is just his face. Yeah, but I think that the interesting thing or talking point I wanted to get to about his performance is that I think he's his performance falls victim to the most cliche horror moments of the film, like being like uh, choking yourself or smiling or looking into your reflection and your reflection smiles back when you're not smiling. And, you know, walk, jumping out of a window and walking up into a ritual set cult sacrifice. So he's kind of in the middle of all the action of the movie. And again, especially in the second half of it. Mm-hmm. But again, like the dinner table scene, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Because I think I might have forgotten about it, um, despite how important and impressive it is. Um, yeah, your thoughts on his, his performance. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I won't get in... I'm not going to get into any specific scenes of his because of the fact that some of them are in my, my top C's list. Um, but I think I'm excited to see what this kid does is more yeah, like more than what I come like. Cause in, and hearing him speak, uh, talking about being a, like an Ari Aster said that, you know, obviously he's a method actor. So everybody called him Peter through the whole process. But okay. he said on the, on the last day of uh, filming after they cut, he like broke character and he like went around and like introduced himself to everyone as Alex. Interesting. And, like I, you know, 
it's going to be interesting to see what this this kid does. But if he keeps working with people like Ari Aster, um, I think he's going to have a really bright bright future out there. Um, yeah, but, I'm on Team Alex Wolf for sure. I'll be I'll be keeping my eye out. You you mentioned uh, last thing I'll say about him. You mentioned face, dude, serving some mega face in this man. Yeah, serving some mega face like and got he, that lip. Yeah, he does, and he also has like. I love like there's a couple of there's like the the like total like seventeen year old boy cry when his mom gets possessed and he's like ah ha ah 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 it's like like that's how I cried when I was that age like no doubt he also I noticed that he crushes the seventeen year old like super skinny boy uh, posture or sitting in his chair at school that was that was me in high school I sat like that I just like. Our elbows in my lap, like lurched over, insecure, really skinny, usually writing poetry. This dude possessed me writing poetry. Still, <laughs> there's some things in common. Um, yeah, really, yeah. really stoked on this dude. Yeah, for sure, for sure, absolutely. You want to get to our lists? It's time. Um, can I give one quick little shout out, really fast? Make it, yeah, make it quick. I am. Um, I just want to point out. I just want to. As far we're talking about acting and Dowd is an actor that we've all kind of grown up with in various roles. I didn't look her up before I went into this, um, so I can't reference any in particular. But um, she gives this, um, like, this maternalistic quality and this softness um, to the movie. And I think that it's – I love the way it's used as like, – because that really is the ultimate ruse, is her, 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 her uh, paternal – or maternal instincts, excuse me, to Annie in, in her moments of grief. Like, they, it's really, like, the ultimate Don't you deception. see right through it, though? Oh, fuck yes. I think that that's true. I think in another kind of film, it would have been even a bigger presence. But I think we, we the viewer sees through it. But I think Annie's grief is what keeps her from, like, acting on seeing through it, too. Like, it's obvious this woman's full of shit. Absolutely. No, yeah. I agree with that, but I think that she I think she pulls that off. Oh, okay, agree. Agree. Like really well. I mean, like, well, it's obviously you're not supposed to trust her. She's got the fucking chalkboard that she pulls out that's supposed to be your grandson's chalkboard at the craft store when she fucking meets it. She's buying yeah. it for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, yeah, no doubt. Uh but I just I love and I think she she has a very good performance in this. I just think that I she you know, one of those subtleties, one of those back back burner performances. Just want to shout her out. No, agreed. Let's um, do it. I uh, let's do our list. Listies, you go first. We're doing as we always do. Three, two, one. Josh and I are picking our spookiest, our scariest, our most fear-inducing scenes of the film. Go first, my friend. Number three. Yeah. Um. Third creepiest to me is one that to me is not creepy at all um well that really. you're no you're making no the list inferior already well give give me give me some space here <laughs> give me a little bit of air time to, to okay the car ride home from the party um that is my number three because it is creepy it's at, it's really it's almost number one um, but it's not for, for the purposes of how I was looking at this. It's not, but really, it probably is number one because it's the only thing in this film that is real. That is absolutely something that could have could happen to you, 
whether you believe in fucking spirits, the occult, witchcraft, or whatever, you could absolutely get fucked up as that, a teenager at that a party happens. That has and happened. get in a car wreck and kill your fucking sibling. And I think that from the – I, I want to just touch on this really – the whole thing. I think it's a beautiful setup by the filmmaker. He does a great job of letting you know that Charlie is allergic for, to nuts, but not in a way that makes you feel really like, oh, no, he's setting this up real good. I think it's you really know? obvious. Other nuts well, than that? Other nuts than that is said like three times before. Well, it's all at the same time. Like, her, all like her, because it's like at, at the, the funeral. Fu- at the funeral, yeah. We yeah. don't have the EpiPen. They're all like, do you have, is that happening? And her mom is just, yeah, I get you. I, I feel you. But I think he does a good enough job to kind of like, keep it to plant the seed let it and he gives it spacing enough between but anyway fast forward she's having this problem he literally has just taken a giant bong rip and he's in this in his headspace because he's got the hot girl that you mentioned with him and he knows she's freaking out and he's I, i just think that the filmmaking in that scene is fucking amazing from the time he scoops her up and is carrying her out of the party in his arms to the time that his hands unflex on the steering wheel and his foot goes mm. from brake to the gas is some of the most intense fucking filmmaking of all time. That shit is real. It's in your grips. If you've ever been in a fast moving car, that's nailed. If you, I mean, and he clearly goes into absolute fucking shock. I mean, the way he tries to muster out, Charlie, you're okay. He doesn't get that out, folks, like not even closely, but you can tell that that's what he's trying to say, and he just can't fucking process what just happened to him. And I think it's it's really well filmed, really well filmed. I think it's a big turning point in the film, obviously. Before I make this comment, it, the, in types of movies like this, there's always like, oh, there's that thing. And the first half hour is fucking crazy, and you said that to me. Was that the thing? Yeah, that was it. Okay, cool. I think also think it's obviously a big turning point in the film, but the way that he just drives home, parks the car, and goes upstairs and gets in yes. bed because he's in complete shock, and then we hear the screaming of the mother, that's the turning point of the movie. And that was exactly look, can I just say I love That's when that, shit got weird. I love that I literally just said what I had to say and that you like hit the pitch that I threw like bam because that's I know we're in baseball mode right now but that was alley that's it that's it I mean it really is like that is that is such good storytelling such good story because he's he is really 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 in fucking shock and he knows that 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 scream is the thing that he can't ignore that's that's the moment that it like the ability to like depart from reality is gone now you lost it he can't he's in shock and he reacts that way because of his family in that moment he knows about his uncle yep he knows his grandma had a restraining order put on her by her dad she know he knows his sister's fucking weird and draws pictures of people he knows his family's fucked up and guess what somebody else died and this time he was in the fucking middle of it and i want to say the one trope that comes up in other horror films that I could find in this movie, like like the big, I'm talking marquee cliches of horror films, is the fact that he smokes the pot right before his sister gets decapitated. Because that's a classic trope in horror is you do the immoral thing and something bad totally. happens to you. But 
I gotta tell Chainsaw you, Massacre leans on that a lot. Yeah. Anybody, anybody who listens to this, if you don't know, I smoke pot. Anybody who knows me knows that I, I've never hidden it at all. And I gotta tell you, high or not, I don't know if him. I don't know if him being unhigh would have necessarily saved that situation from, like, would have changed it. I just want to say that out loud. And I'm not like this is not like a marijuana advocacy thing. This is about the movie. I don't know if him being unhigh would have changed that situation because he still had to get his sister somewhere as fast as fucking possible. And there are you are, running? Are you running for office? Um, at some point, yes, but marijuana is legal where I live, so I'm good, man. <laughs> no, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. But anyway, uh, he's got to get her there fast, and there's a fucking horned animal, which is clearly part of the plan, in the middle of the fucking road, like. You, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just I wonder about that. Like I think about that because, and I wonder if that was a thought in the head. If I'm gonna deliver this cliche, maybe I delivered in a way where it's not like you can't directly tie it and say, "Oh, if he hadn't have been high, she would have lived." Because I mean, it was all part of a fucking demonic goddamn cult plan. So, anyway, all right, hit me. All right, let's refocus. Uh, my top, my three are themed because it's an element of the movie I wanted to highlight, and I thought I'd do it with my list. Ooh, a. Number three is called Hello Grandma. Ooh. Um, Annie sees a vision of Grandma, Queen Lee, in the studio. And again, I just got goosebumps. It scared the shit out of me. And again, I don't think I would have seen it if I hadn't adjusted my television. It's fucking, I paused the movie and I rewound it to make sure I wasn't fucking freaking out. And she's in full clothes and she's kind of like leaning into the shot. It's very, 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 very brief. But that shit scared the shit. <laughs> it fucking maybe, uh, yeah, I'm scary. No, it's. Uh, because it was so subtle. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. I will give you complete claps for that one um it's funny i was discussing this with uh, someone else recently and we were talking about that one and they were like that was when i knew this movie was just gonna fuck me up like as soon as i saw that i was like oh god this is just gonna this is gonna be a, hard for me to watch and i'm like that's what i, I don't know like ahead. i don't know i mean i kind of felt like for me that i was like i don't know like that one was like that was the one that like kind of felt like it needed to be there to like no. I was going to interject. I, that's when I knew that this movie was going to be different. Yeah. It, it was like, yes. And it was because it wasn't there long enough. It wasn't there long enough for you to look at it, see that it's fake. You, you know, it, it wasn't that typical, I just like, behind me again, just for reveal. Yeah, it was just unique and, like, really, it, it was a flex of filmmaking. For sure. For sure. Agreed. Agreed. Number two for you. Okay, so number two, I think I picked up on your trend, so I'm gonna okay. curate, I'm gonna curate mine to, to match. I'm gonna try anyway. So uh, number two for me is something that I'm tip. I would typically not go to this uh, in a horror film. The most graphic scene of the entire movie, the most like sticky, like prosthetic, kind of fake, gory scene, which is when Annie is sawing her in her own head off at the end of the film so that Payman may leave her body and go into her son's body, which by the way, she's not her at this point. She's just, you know, possessed as fuck. But the, there's a reason that the, I shout this one out. 
it's because of the fucking sound. It's the it's the fucking you hear she, she leaves Peter's room and goes downstairs and you hear a, a piano crash and some fucking weird piano sounds and you're like, What's that? And then moments later, film pursues and you hear this just You don't know what it is until you see it and it's fucking great. And it's like, what is that? And then, Dude, that didn't even freak me out. I wanted to applaud. I was like, damn, that was good. Yes! You don't know what it is until no! you see it. And then you Ugh. see it. And you know what else? And the, what the, he gives it like a bookend effect with that too because you hear it before you see it. And then he cuts away before she actually finishes the job. And you're like down on the ground with Peter. And like you hear the... Because she like speeds up as she goes. Let's get this shit over with. And you hear the head like fall off and thud to the ground and roll a little bit. And I was just, I'm like, yes, dude, thank you. That is so, I mean, it's some creepy fucking shit. But like that sound, because that is sound. Oh, ugh, just to if I could continue that sequence, oh. it's so great. There's like they do the and it clicks over, and that's when you yes. see the naked people. It's yes. the it's the most classic like horror movie sequence in it. She's like, bam, blood, gore, auditory overload, creepy signaling theme in the movie with the click, and then naked fat people. Oh, my God! Yep. Ah! Yes, yes, yes. It's so good. Tapping into all that, like, Puritan fear that we have here, like, for sure. No doubt. Number two two for me is called uh, Annie in the Corner. Woo! Dude. You know, okay. Did you know apparently most people in the theater did not even see her? I saw it. Mo- I know, right? Most people in the theater apparently didn't even see her there until she floats away. Like, what the fuck? So, what Continue, we're talking about. Like, yeah, yeah. So, my number two pick is um, Alex Wolf character is in bed. And again, it's this classic. Damn, you were slamming that Cavassier. What? Did you take a shot at Cavassier? I took a sip. This is that's a sipping liquid, friend. <laughs> this this is some VSOP. You sip on it, okay? Okay. Anyway, um, and uh, Annie's possessed by Payman, our boy Payman, and oh. she, uh, it's so creepy. She she elevates and hovers in the corner of the room, kind of hunched in this like super creepy aggressive style. It's a dark lit movie, and it's hard to see. But once you see it, it shocks you. It's way easier to see a few minutes later yeah. when he comes downstairs and sees his father burned alive. She's up in the corner, and it's way easier. But it's just as creepy. But that my pick is that first one in his bedroom. Because yes. later, this shot comes down. He's sitting on his bed, and you see her crawl away. It's obvious that the character isn't just manic, isn't just having a mental breakdown, isn't just drunk with the illusion of this ritual occult this person's possessed they they have physical abilities that they normally wouldn't have and she crawls away on all fours and you see her like really quickly in the background and that whole sequence of her chasing him like up the stairs and around the house that's gonna lead me to my number one pick um it's it's that's like the scariest moment for me now i'm coming to that realization live with you because that just being chased up the stairs that's I, just the scariest thing anyone can fucking pick. It, it is, and there's like also, experience, you know, well, in your own home. 
to touch on your number two pick before I get really nervous that our number one picks are the same number one pick. Uh, <laughs> um, I think there is something really, really poignant. And, and I mean that uh, when you're making a horror film to tap into the notion of something or someone being in your room, your sleeping space while you are asleep that you cannot see. That's the feel, scariest thing. But you feel there. Yes. That sleep is the paralysis. And it manifests itself sleep, in a bunch shadows, of different yeah. yeah, it manifests itself in a bunch of different movies. It's the you know, from the, the slasher calls you on the phone and tells you what you look like and where you're at in the house to the the in paranormal activity, the ghost like drags your foot while you're asleep. I mean it's like that shit manifests itself all the time, but like in this movie the way you're built up to this point, it just it really hits. It really hits because in those movies I mentioned previously, you've you've already been dealt a whole fucking wad of cheese at this point that you just like nothing. It's the subtlety that it's the the build to the the outlandishness that really makes the outlandish like kind of hit a little better it doesn't you know it doesn't you're not just like oh that's fucking fake as shit you're like oh my god the fuck the fuck is that chick doing up there (laughs) (laughs) live honorable mention like when charlie is in his room and she just like he calls her name and she's like two and a half times as tall as she is in real life in the shadows you can barely see her face and her like head drops and it just turns into the ball rolling that's classic cheeseball horror stuff, but the way he does it is, it's scary. It, it is. And, it, and what he, so if I can just speak on a nuance real quick, because we're going to get here in just a minute. But one of the things that he does there is like, he, do, he doesn't show her head roll off, right? He, you, you see her head bend down and then it cuts and you see a shadow roll into a soccer, like a Nerf ball. And it's, he just does it in a ways that other movies try to lay it on too thick. He, it's like he's mm. applying the right amount of ple- pressure almost in those moments. All right, man. What's your number one? Okay. I'm really nervous that we have the same number one. Are you okay? okay if, if you are, are you okay if we have the same? I mean, that would be, what am I going to do? Okay, Shut right? the show down? No, but like, that would kind of be appropriate if we both had the same one. So, okay, the the freakiest thing in this entire fucking movie is when Peter has made his way up to the attic thinking that he has somehow, like, locked his mom out. And she's just, So, first off, can we just get to the psychology of being chased by your mother? Okay? That's some fucked up shit. And he locks himself in the attic. And she is fucking on the attic with these magical floating abilities that she has. And she is possessed. Wait, 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 wait. Her fucking head against the attic door. And Peter is just screaming, Mommy! Mommy, stop! And it's like, that's the (laughs) fucked up shit, dude. Yeah, we totally have this. We have the same one. God damn. And the way the camera rotates rapidly. And yes. To show that she's like suspended in midair, slamming her head repeatedly against. Yes. Here we go. That's a climax if I've ever seen one. God damn it, man! And, and like, that and sequence then into the your third pick of her taking her head off, like that's a great sequence. It's awesome. It is. 
it yeah. is. And, and I love too that like you get that like you get these two dramatic like because that the scene that we're talking about right now, the fucking head slamming against the attic door, that's the creepiest part of this whole fucking movie. Like it really, really is because there's a because he's running too. into a, the attic and he doesn't know, but we know that there's dead body up there. That and triggered the fun. whole fucking thing. That and is there's like key obviously can, yep, and candles have been adorned in the attic. It's obviously been set up for a ritualistic experience. Oh yeah. So again, it's a classic horror thing of we know what they're going into and they don't. Yes, 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 and it. I mean, it's just. But what I was gonna say is, I love that you get the those two like heavy hitting dramatic scenes. Her slamming her head and then her taking her own head off, and then from the rest of the film. You just get a bunch of like really like and maybe this is the wrong word or maybe it's a stupid word to use, but like really like cerebral like sounds and you're mostly on Peter's face. And I mean, you hear his brain going through the situation. It's like a better ending to a horror film than I think. I don't know if I've ever seen. You know, like his other film, Midsommar, also carries like a lot of weight in that regard, too. But it's like it just it it doesn't. It feels like horror movies tend to end on like some sort of like an upbeat note. And this one doesn't. Yeah, it ends in the it remains in the darkness and doesn't alleviate. No, it doesn't. This this is the only way this film could have ended. The plan worked. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't beat the demon. This is not Poltergeist. This is not any of those other movies. Like, this is absolutely just fucked. I was in the shower before work this morning. I was thinking, like, if there's a sequel for this movie, it's like this kid goes back to school or goes to a new city. Obviously, his life changed dramatically, but the cult stays with him. He's a straight-A student. He gets into Yale. He goes into finance, becomes a billionaire, and facilitates, like, this conglomerate of money and power. And then his son becomes the president of the United States of America. (laughs) (laughs) Hit me up, Ari. I got a story for you. He's selling it for real cheap, man. He's selling it for real cheap. And then they meet at, um, what's the place in the California woods? There's a lot of places in the California. No, woods, where the people go with the hoods and they do sacrifices and there's presidents there and shit. Oh, uh, Grove, Coconut Grove. Uh, yeah, Pineapple Grove, right? Um, I'm I'm glad that we, <laughs> I'm glad that we had the same number one. You want to move on? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's 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 do it. So the other big facet of this movie that we want to talk about and what makes it, you know, makes us want to watch more and makes it different is the score from Colin Sexton. There's three words I wrote down. I wrote down industrial, curious, and primal. I listened to the score streaming on the way home from work, and I immediately became consumed with the fear that all four of my tires were going to blow out at the exact same moment. It was terrible. And then I read that he uh, he created the score, concocted it as if uh, take, after he took a night walk, pitch black darkness, and animals, the, hearing the sound of animals and their interests. So I, I think the soundtrack is key to any horror thriller film to build tension, to make the viewer uncomfortable. But this shit is on another level. 
and it's and again we've talked about it on some other films especially like dunkirk with that johnny, sound johnny, johnny greenwood who's a modern musician colin colin stetson also, also. a modern a player like a, a working musician it's modern in that in the industrial sense of the physical sounds and the utilization of you know of those kind of angular sounds that you hear in real life but it's also classic shimmering strings to build tension it's it's amazing and on a personal level listening to it in isolation on on my car on the way home and during the film it inspired me as a musician which i am it made me want to make a soundtrack of a film to imagine sitting there and getting a dark twisted horror film and then get to put music to it because i imagine that's what he did maybe i'm wrong but to be able to put soundtrack to that because each tracks are only you know three minutes long they they ebb and flow as the tension of the movie you know swells it, it inspired me it was really amazing yeah i mean you got there's a lot to a lot to unpack there you're i mean first i agree with everything you said i, mean, I was just I mean, you guys are listening. I'm just nodding along as as he speaks. Um, it, uh, I I want to add one little thing. My I had a moment where when I watched this for uh, for the show, you kind of go you get a little further in. I'm the kind of dude like when I watch a movie, as soon as the credits roll, I'm like, okay, over, on to the next thing. Um, but with this, when I was watching, I happened to see that Colin Stetson did the score and i'm like that name and i like pop up and i'm like victoria i think that's the guy that does the circular breathing on bad bad not good number four and i like go down i'm like run over and i grab the record and i like flip it around and i'm like i'm like fuck yeah i was like victoria that's super fucking cool because you always love you know when you have those moments and you're like you watch this movie and you really like the movie it hits you and then you're like the score and you're like oh my god and you're like another guy yeah i don't know it's fun um but more more seriously, I think you're absolutely r- right that the hor- horror film, a quintessential part of a horror film, is the score. I mean, like tracking back to Psycho, probably when when you get all the strings and the stabbing scene, you know, um, and all the way forward into you know Halloween and a- a- all of them. It, it, if you don't get the score right, you don't have a, a horror movie. And in fact, you can use the score alone to get a jump. You know, to get a scare jump, you know, uh, but but what sets this one apart for me is the the um, intelligence with which it is deployed. The, the score is it, it's almost it's its own organism that's that's part of this film. But but it works all together. I, I don't know. I mean, it really is deployed very well. And I the one thing I'm going to say, and I just want to get more thoughts from you, honestly. Sure. Um, is my favorite part is this what sounds like a ginormous fucking oscillating fan sound that mimics like a heartbeat that picks up at a certain point in the film and carries on every time something like mega is happening and it's just this it really sounds like just the big the fucking fan from when we were kids like are you afraid of the dark like the, the just yeah, and it yeah. like mimics a heartbeat. It's and, supposed like, it to. It's supposed beat. to get your heart racing. Yes, and it does. Yeah. It so fucking effectively does, you know. And I think that that's my favorite thing. It's deployed so beautifully in this movie. Like, absolutely. Love it. What do you think the differences are between this and other horror movies we've 
spoken a little bit about the future of the genre and what these new filmmakers are bringing it to bringing to it rather the thing for me like the Christmas of the color choices the cinematography it I think about two films in particular um it's almost like this European sense to it and I you know I'm not a film critic I'm just a dude drinking beer talking about movies with my best friend but I think about a movie called Dogtooth which is this Danish film that I remember seeing in high school that shocked me and I think about this movie called Let the Right One In which is a Swedish movie about vampires I saw in college I think about even a film that's not a horror movie at all, but The Lives of Others, which is this really famous German film that has this the the way the color choices, the palette, the 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 Christmas of the the Christmas of the camera shot, and just the 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 clarity of the darkness is what I wrote is how I see it. It's almost European, and it, I I see that influence coming into these dark, twisted, horrific tales that Hollywood is going to start bringing us. And I think it's a big part of what sets it apart. And I just want to see what your thoughts are of, of what sets this film apart from other horror movies. Well, first I want to say that as far as the aesthetic that you just kind of outlined, I 100% agree with, with what you're talking almost about. Like, almost reminds me of like even David Fincher has that quality, like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Like yeah. this steeliness, yeah. this... Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a coolness. It's a, it's a, mm. it, there's a, there's a, um, I'm lost for words because I mean, you know, you can get talk, this set at Ikea for sure. Well, yes. It's like top tier uh, Ikea shit. So like on a, like on, so on a, um, like on like a, uh, philosophical level. Yes. It, it's got this post-apocalyptic Ikea world vibe. This just everything's kind of we're in this place but on a technical level there's it's a, it's a, it there's a a coolness like a, when when I say cool I mean it's using cooler tones blues greens yeah. purples um and, and and mixtures of those things and even when you get warmth it it's diluted with with cool um and I think that has an effect that it, it Color obviously has an effect on your psychology. I mean, there, there's a reason why most of the McDonald's, fast food yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, it's so yeah, and hospitals are painted the same ways, and yeah. yada yada yada. The list goes on. So I think there's a filter over it that sets you in a like an uneasy place, you know. But yeah. but I also think that you're right about the aesthetic of like the interior design of the home. There's just this very like. I I bought this at IKEA, but like I I yeah I don't know I'm I'm, custom, I'm rambling, yeah. but you know what I mean. I mean we're I we're just got the point chewing on this. Yeah, yeah. we're chewing on Any, this. Anything else you want to point out of what you think makes this different? Yeah, absolutely, I do. Uh, because that was mostly me agreeing with what you say. I think the set the there are three things that set this apart for me. Um, that's the writing, the acting, and those two things. I think you can make a case are superior than most of your horror films. That's just outright because when you when you watch most horror films, the horror gets relieved because the acting is just bad or the writing is just bad and you always have a scapegoat to never let yourself really feel any kind of tension or fear, if you will. This one does not have that. But the most important thing for me is the pacing of this movie. Mm. 
it's the I was really hoping you would talk about the, it. The pacing, the pacing, the pace. This is not paced like a horror film. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have any kind of uh, stereotypical flow to it of a horror film. It it's paced like a drama, and that's when you come back to that. He wants to make a, a family drama through the vehicle of horror, uh, with using horror as like a metaphor, if you will, and it's like. Yeah, because this movie's paced like a drama. I mean, when the horror happens, it happens in context, which is something that, like, I think of films that have achieved this level of of kind of giving you a, a freaky, kind of scary story that is also real enough, grounded enough to actually scare you it are films like uh, Misery, or um, um, The Shining, or uh, Nocturnal Animals. Mm, love you know, that movie. That yeah, movies that can can set you in a place that's real enough to get scared because something scary happens. Other horror films pace themselves in a way that, like you, you kind of know something freaky's happening. Like the score in this movie is not a cue to scary. It's a it's throughout. It's an mm. organism that goes and and morphs through the story, but it never lets you feel at ease from start to finish. And other horror films have that jubile party moment, you know, like, hey, we're doing good, go, 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 you know, da, 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 da. This doesn't have that. Never has that. Yeah. There's one Love element it. of it, of the film, that I want to talk about briefly, and it's the way it deals with the supernatural. I feel like inevitably there's... Yes. Inevitably, there's uh, a, a a part of the film that is gonna be cheesy, and it's gonna make me realize that I'm not gonna get killed tonight, and that I will sleep fine and laugh at myself for being scared. And for me, it's the way it, this film deals with the supernatural, and I, and specifically the light in the film. Oh, okay. Like when the when the demon possesses people and the way the light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I. I don't want to be too critical. I'm, I'm obviously the contrarian between the two of us. That's a dynamic that we fleshed out. But it, it made me roll my eyes. And I thought it was, if I was being my worst self, I'd say it was stupid. It wasn't. It's not that bad. I, I'm excited to see this filmmaker evolve with his interpretation of the supernatural. I, it could have been much worse. But I do think it's worth pointing out that it's this film still has a, an essence of absurdity to it that all horror films do. And for me, that was my most specific example. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, that brings a couple of comments to mind. And since that's basically what this is about, I'll leave you with this. Um, if you want to see him evolve, watch Midsommar. Okay, cool. Yeah, because uh, I think you're, you're right. I hear you. Um, I hear you. And Midsommar, I think, is an evolution of of such because it's also in my mind about the occult um and, I'm, and actually i think i don't think anybody would really disagree with me on that but i have no, that's the impression like, i've got cover my skin um i'm pretty excited to watch it to be honest because yeah, i think the occult I, is really interesting and obviously i'm excited to see this guy do other stuff and that's his, his second film well i know this is a podcast about hereditary but i will say i i am excited for you to watch it too because i think you, that'll be the your favorite of the two by far but cool. um, 
I think um, I don't know. I think what I think one of my favorite things about this, just to close, yeah. is when I watch the horror films that come out because I'm forced into watching them because my partner loves them. Victoria loves them. I mean, it just, I'm stuck with it. So I'm going to have to watch them when they come out. She gets a shtick on it. So whatever. Um, but I think my thing, my thing, my favorite part that sets this apart from other ones is like, when I watch those movies, I'm usually like 25, 30% of the way through the movie. And I'm like, yep, that's the ending. I mean, I'm or or you're just not scared anymore. You're just out. No, and it's like I'm not scared, but even still, it's just like you. I think the ending of most mainstream horror films, the ones that are just pumped out by the culture industry, I think that those are, I, I they're just so goddamn predictable, dude. I mean, really. And I love that this one. You you just you might pick up on the fact that she's part of a scheme that her mother created before but you don't know you don't know where you're going you don't know that this movie is going to end the way it ends in that treehouse you don't know that you're going to watch annie fucking saw her goddamn head off you don't know that steve is going to fucking catch on fire when the book goes and i mean you you're not you you can't even you, like this you be can't specific, forecast this even like the brother sees the glowing light of the heater in the treehouse like several times and you know that it's going to be important i thought it was like a screen at first but then i realized what he's keeps looking out his window is the heater in the treehouse so you know that's going to be important but you don't know how it's going yeah the the other thing really specific before i wrap it up yeah that i really appreciate and it's kind of remedial maybe but after annie takes uh takes her own head off in the attic I just really appreciate the fact that they show the body levitating <laughs> and like guiding itself up into the attic. Cause there's so much when it comes to the supernatural and horror movies, it's like, how did the body get there? And I just like, it got there cause of magic. Cause Satan's here. There you and go. I just, I right. saw that and I just started nodding. I was like, thanks. Thank it's you for showing devil, me. Devil Thank you for king. showing me how the headless body got there. I really, truly appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Connected the fucking dots for you folks. Well, okay, one thing really quick, I do want to go back. I realized I was going to kind of talk about I was going to talk about you your points. I wanted to add because you talked on uh, believability, you were talking about the light and the way yeah. you're like, "Ah, that bothers me." The one defense if I could give any to that cuz I I feel you. I really do. I it's uh it's one of the parts of the movie that stands alone. Like the occult part, you can you can a tribute to almost every other thing that happens in the movie. You could be like, that's part of the occult, even the head body floating up to the fucking treehouse that we were just laughing about. Cause it's kind of funny. Uh, right. but I, I genuinely, just to clarify, I genuinely appreciate that. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I think just the only defense I could give to that is that you, I feel like he probably felt that he needed some sort of, some sort of a, a vehicle to to show that that spirit get, is in places that it's not. I totally get it. I know. You I just do. think I just think he used it one or two many times. Sure. And I think that people feel like they have to do that to for everyone to understand 
This is supernatural. This is a spirit. And I think it would have made the movie even more unique if he didn't flesh it out as literally. And that's just my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right. But for me as a moviegoer, it was just like, again, with the thing and the light around the room. Like, even if he did it twice, like, it would have been like, that's a classic moment. I just felt like it was, they, I, that's just my opinion. That's just how I, I feel. No, I think that, I think that it's a, uh, I think that you make a incredibly valid point. Incredibly valid point. I, I agree. I, I, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me as much as it as I feel like it irked you a yeah. bit. But but when I hear you say it, I'm like, yeah, right on. Like a hundred percent. Like I'm not I'm not you know, I'm not mad about it. Like I hear you. Like, yeah, that makes complete sense. It would give it would zap out that's the one like specially effecty kind of thing that you can't credit to the fucking demon. You know, the, that doesn't... Yeah, I dig you. Cool. Yeah. This is a genre we don't talk that much about. I'm glad we had this conversation about it because this show is about loving movies. Mm-hmm. And this... Watching this... This wasn't my favorite movie of all time. I didn't think it was perfect. But it it made me excited about watching films. And Dope, For and, sure. And I, again, that was a bigger deal to me than watching the movie. Like, it, it was... It, it was fun. It was a good movie, but it was like, all right, I got some other shit to watch. I'm going to expand my palette, and that's and I'm excited for other movies to come out from this director and other ones in the same genre. Horror! Oh, the horror, Joshua! I'll simply second that. I think I'm really excited to see... I mean, Jordan Peele, obviously, is just exploding all over TV. I mean, he's got I a couple... Like I think they're... Yeah. A couple of shows. I mean, what is it? Um, lo- is it Love Lovecraft Country or Antebellum? Oh, is that him too? Nice. One of the one of the two, I think, or maybe he's just producing. I'm not sure. He that's what I'm saying. He's kind of from what I understand. Box. Yeah, he's yeah, get, yeah. getting around. Uh, but it's cool. To, it's for me. I'm just excited to have a couple of horror movies to look forward to that aren't just going to be so cheesy that you can't even allow yourself to be a little spooked. I mean, because I am. I am one of those people. Like, it is kind of cool. Like, I've decided, like, in October, it's kind of nice to, like, just feel a little, I don't know, the jack-o'-lanterns outside on the front porch. I don't know. It's fun. So, oh, yeah. Or yeah. if you're not into that, there's always Bed Midler. Oh! First Wives Club. What you got? Hocus Pocus. Bam! Give it to me. <laughs> All right. This is fun. Absolutely. It's a good and episode. Absolutely. I want to end this one a little different. Okay. It is the season. It is October. Go Braves. Go Braves. See y'all next time.